circa 1990. It's your boy Yvonne. And I'm LaDante. We are the founders and managing partners of New Age Capital, an early stage venture capital firm investing in dope tech startups founded and led by black and Latino entrepreneurs. We've known each other for mm, 10 years now. And over the last decade, we've made it through college. We turned up, we traveled, survived corporate America, and started a couple companies together, ultimately leading us to where we are today. New Age Capital is the culmination of our passion for entrepreneurship, coupled with our deep frustration with the lack of venture capital invested in black and Latino communities. Also, there was really no venture brand out there that connected with us on a cultural and interpersonal level. So we decided to create something dope that was authentic to our lifestyles. Little did we know, raising a fund is hard as No, but seriously though, raising a fund? It's hard as f But we're still out here though. So on our journey to build a new age capital, we decided to highlight some of the amazing entrepreneurs we met along the way. This is Chopping It Up. Today, we're chatting with Rebecca Lima, co-founder and CEO of Delu. Delu partners with office properties, workspaces, corporations, and events to create self-care beauty bars for all women. The beauty and wellness market has been exploding as consumers are becoming more aware of healthy lifestyles and self-care. According to CB Insights, the global beauty and personal care market is worth approximately $180 billion. The self-care and beauty markets are slowly crossing over as many up-and-coming brands are emphasizing the healthy aspects of their beauty and grooming products. Brands like Fenty Beauty, Mented, and Glossier are creating product offerings that reach a much wider demographic of women as inclusivity is proving to be an extremely lucrative strategy. In addition, the acquisition of companies like First Aid Beauty by Procter & Gamble in July 2018 shows clear signs of where the beauty and wellness market is likely headed. Now, let's go chop it up with Rebecca. All right, so we got Rebecca Lima, uh, founder of The Lou, in here with us today. Thanks for joining us. Um, we're gonna get into a lot, uh, you know, a lot about your journey as a founder, and I think there's a lot of taboo things that aren't often touched on, so we'd love to get into that with you. But first, we'd like to say thank you for uh, joining us on our inaugural, inaugural season of Chopping It Up. Um, you know, and we hope this is an enjoyable interview and, and uh, you know, uh, a lot of people can get a, a lot of valuable information from this interview. Me too, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's get started by, um, you know, a little bit about yourself. Like, who, what do you want the world to know about you? Who is Rebecca oh, Lee? Oh, wow. I'm from Fort Lauderdale, but I'm Brazilian um, background. Both my parents are Brazilian. and It was actually tragic. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> um... And both my parents immigrated here from Brazil, so I'm first-generation American um, and actually first-generation to go to college, too, from my family. So it was pretty cool um, growing up with, uh, with immigrant parents. Yeah, yeah. They can definitely influence, influence your upbringing. I know it did mine. Yeah, I mean, my dad's entrepreneurial, so I think watching him go through his journey actually inspired me to be entrepreneurial and take on this path because it wasn't so scary, you know? So, yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, you didn't kind of just jump into it after high school or college. I think like most people, you kind of went the corporate America route and, 
you know, thought maybe you could have a career there. So talk about a little bit about how that was specifically in the field that you were in and, you know, being a woman in that world and um, how that you eventually evolved into getting into entrepreneurship. So I went to school for mechanical engineering, specifically robotics. I'm a total nerd and I love like anything Transformers, Iron Man, like the, that was like my upbringing. Um, I was a total tomboy and I went to school for mechanical engineering. I graduated and I didn't want to lose my Brazilian citizenship. So working for a defense contractor would actually be out of the picture. So like Raytheon, Boeing, Lockheed. Um, so I decided to go work in the oil industry, which is like completely out of character for what I would do, but I really wanted to work with my hands um, and use the skills that I learned in school. So I did that for three years. I worked on offshore rigs, onshore rigs. I was the lead on the job most of the time, and I was probably the only woman on the job for most of my career at the time. So, and then I transitioned out of that um, into selling airplanes with my dad, so selling private jets. Um, and that's when I was like, I can't do this anymore and I <laughs> need to do what I wanna do. So kind of had like a couple midlife crises, but they happen every like two years. <laughs> so I don't know if that says anything about me. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just, it's, you know, there's some self-awareness there and you're constantly kind of reevaluating yourself and what yeah. your expectations of your life are. Yeah, for some sure. Some people get more stressed out by it than others, but... It's oh, no. No shortage of adventure either. No, I feel like I tell my story um, to people and they're like, you've lived like 60 lives in the last, I don't know, seven years that I've been away from college. Um, and I've moved 17 times in the last wow. seven years. Yeah, so I like it. <laughs> uh, let's talk about your first foray into entrepreneurship. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to get too much into that company, but talk about, you know, what it was you were trying to build and, you know, ultimately why you ended up moving on from there. Yeah, so my first company was called Ment. Um, M-E-N-T, and it was kind of like the ways for airports. So we helped travelers navigate the airport terminal in real time. Um, a lot, I learned a lot with my first company and I call it like the boot camp to where I am today. Um, I learned a lot of things the hard way because I never had mentors, I never had real advisors at the beginning. and. Um, I started the company in Florida and then moved to New York where that's kind of where things kind of got going. Um, but, you know, early on I was living this, you know, the, the I love my company and I love everything about it, like delusion that some founders face, especially on your first startup, um, you know not testing customer, like not having customer feedback, not talking to customers. And so I learned the hard way that building an airport app for general population is not something <laughs> um, that works because most people travel, general population travels one to two times a year and they don't need an app <laughs> or they're not gonna download an app. So. Um, I moved away from the company um, January of this year, so I like wrapped everything up, 
sold what assets I could, um, and wiped my hands clean of it. And I think I got to a point where I had a realization, like, this is not something that I want to do. I started this company to, like, make a better life for myself, and now I'm miserable, mm -hmm. and I don't want to work on what I'm doing, and I'm daydreaming of everything else. Right. So, it was time. What was the... I mean, what you just touched on, I think, is really important because there's, there's, a, there's a time period, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs' lives, where they, they may have actually asked themselves that question, like, should I really be continuing to do this? Yeah. But you almost get caught in a zeitgeist of, like, well, I'm an entrepreneur. I got to continue to keep, keep on keeping on at whatever cost. How did you reconcile with yourself? Like, all right, this was a really good idea. I really thought I can take it somewhere. How were you able to kind of cut the ties and, and let it go? Or was it so easy because you're like, you know, I'm not even thinking about this anymore. Um, so it kind of happened. Um, it kind of happened over time. It was more so I we raised a friends and family round in August. Um, and unfortunately, I took money when I shouldn't have taken money. And the realization afterwards was like so much guilt that I felt. Um, and that really ate away at me. And that's really what propelled me to stop operations. Um, and also just realizing that I wasn't happy with it. Like I wasn't waking up excited to work on my project. And I was thinking about this other company in August of last year. So I just came to that moment and I actually like, I actually sh did a lot of things. Like I shaved my head. Mm -hmm. I Yeah, you look very different from when like, <laughs> I first met you. So kind of talk about that a little bit. Talk about the kind of like internal, you know, like personal battles and like kind of overcoming that. Like what was that first release valve, so to speak, of like, you know, you getting through this this time? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of pressure on you when you start a company and then you're putting it out on social media and your friends know about it. And I think that was initially like the hardest part for me. It's like knowing that I'm letting other people down. It wasn't even letting myself down. Like I didn't care at all. Like, um, and it was letting other people down. And then once I kind of got through that, I was like, I just felt a lot of pressure and a lot of like stuff on me and I felt like it was coming out through like everything like my pores my hair like and so I had a moment where in December I decided to shave it off and then after that I felt so much release and then after that I went home for Christmas I'm from Florida again so I went home from Christmas and I just like really thought about it and I was like this is not for me and I'm doing this for the wrong reasons and that's not a good enough reason for me to continue this process. So I ended it. Also, you know, you did have a co-founder for that yeah. first company and I think a lot of times you hear a lot of entrepreneurs hear a lot of different advice like don't be a solo founder or like have a certain amount of co-founders or whatever. Um, and you know, a lot of times those situations may end up, you know, being really good, yeah. sometimes they turn out badly. So, you know, could you talk about that experience a little bit, what you learned and, and what advice you have for picking a co-founder? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the 
the, the thing that we need to discuss probably bigger than that is like, it's not picking anyone. You know, um, my co-founder and I, we met at a women's event um, and we immediately hit it off. Um, we founder dated for a while. Um, and, you know, after the company kind of closed down, she wanted to continue it and I wanted to hit the brakes on it, but it was initially I had the voting rights. So I said, you know, this is, I don't want to do this. Um, so the relationship kind of like went, it didn't go sour because we still are very close and I recommend her for a lot of things. She recommends me for a lot of projects. So I would say like, one, don't go looking for it, allow it to come to you and put, I mean, put it out there. Like I post on angel list that I'm looking for a co-founder or someone that's operational or whatever you're missing in your company that you feel like you need to supplement and then put it out there and put out feelers, ask for recommendations um, and referrals and things like that. And sometimes it'll work out, sometimes it'll take a little bit longer, but stressing about getting a co-founder is not the best. Having gone situation. through that process of kind of serendipity in, in terms of you finding each other and it working out, do you think as you reflect back on that, was it necessary to have a co-founder or do you think you, I mean, of course, in terms of like task and like business, you know, it's nice to have somebody around, but do you think it was, is it absolutely necessary to have a co-founder as we talk about this YC culture and things? Like yeah. That? So I don't think that it's necessary. I personally think that if you are looking for someone to supplement, like kind of be that person that, you know, you can rely on for that skill, for those certain types of skills, then yes, like absolutely. But you can also hire for that. You can also um, look for, you know, people, uh, contractors and things like that during the time that you're looking for someone as a co-founder. So there's a lot of different tools and resources out there, and that's what I do, so. We hear a lot of these stories about the success of founders and very little about the shutting down of, of startups. Talk to us a little bit about what that process was like. Like, you know, what are the tangible things that have to happen um, yeah. around like shutting down a company? So it's actually harder to shut down a company than it is to start a company. And you would think it's like the actual opposite. Like, and I was very surprised as well. So we had really expensive lawyers. Um, and thankfully, we had certain terms with these lawyers that allowed us to not have to pay all the money up front. Um, but there are certain things that you have to do. You have to make sure the company, you file your sales taxes for not only that year, but the year after oh, you wow. dissolve. And then you have to formally write in to Delaware. Um, it's a very expensive like letter that you have to get signed and, and whatnot. So you have to get it published through their like- uh, That you're yeah. dissolving. Yeah. To say that you dissolve the company. And then all the other things that if you have um, investors, you have to make sure that everyone knows how to file properly, um, their losses for that year and things like that. So it's a wild 
crazy thing, but once you get it done, it's over pretty much. Yeah. Um, as a, I mean, you know, as a serial entrepreneur, and I guess you know, working in corporate America beforehand, these uh, companies that you're starting, how are you able to sustain yourself? I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs have to either work a job and then you know do the thing on the side until it becomes a full time thing. Yeah. Was it a lot of like you know utilizing the resources that you saved from previous jobs, or how 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 did you have to manage that? So, I had a unique situation where. Um, I'll kind of just explain all of it. <laughs> Hopefully, you'll people will catch on. Um, so I worked in oil and gas, which I made six figures at the age of like 22. Okay, so I was working 80 hours a week, and I was literally stashing cash because I think subliminally I knew that like this wasn't forever. So. I saved a lot. Then I invested into the company that, that I was working for, so my 401k. And I took a huge percentage of that and, and put it towards my 401k. After I quit, I literally lived off of my 401k. Oh, wow. and my, so you roll it over into an IRA, right. and then you have to pay taxes on taking it out. but. At the end of the day, it all works out. Um, so I don't have savings. <laughs> I mean, but but I chose this, and I knew what the consequences were. Right. Because here's the thing: I this the first company failed, mm -hmm. the second company might fail, the third one might fail. But at the end of the day, I know that I'm going to 10x whatever I made yeah. in yeah. my 401k or had earlier. That That's just your it, mentality. Yeah. Exactly. It's where you kind of like put yourself, right? Um, and then I also take consulting jobs. I take side, like I have side hustles. Um, when I first moved to New York, I used to babysit dogs and like okay. things like yeah. that. So you get those odd jobs do what here you gotta and there. Do. Yeah, and it's not easy. It's not the it's not this glamorous lifestyle that everyone seems to think that it is. Um, it's a lot of reflection, I would say. Um, and as a female, it's a lot of more crying than reflection. <laughs> <laughs> Reflecting in the tears. Reflecting in the tears, looking at yourself oh, in the man. mirror, asking why yeah, I'm doing this yeah. every single day. But it's actually, um, it's probably one of the most rewarding experiences I've ever taken on in my life. And even though I've had these extreme highs and extreme lows, like I wouldn't take any of this, I, I wouldn't redo any of this. Great, so thanks for sharing that. You know, now on to the new venture that's gonna yeah. make you an entrepreneur superstar. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, talk to us uh, about, you know, the new company. Yeah. Um, you were saying before that you had been thinking about it for a long time anyway. So, you know, take us from ideation stage to, you know, kind of where you are now. My new company is called The Lou, L-I-E-U, like in lieu of. Um, and this idea, before I say what it is, um, really stem from a personal need of mine. Um, so if anyone is watching this or hearing this and lives in New York City or in the surrounding boroughs, um, you, and you're a woman, because I feel like this is primarily like a women's problem, 
we carry so much stuff with us. Like we pack mule the entire city with like everything that we need, change of clothes, styling products, hair products, whatever. I have less hair products now, <laughs> thankfully. Um, and, you know, there's, and I've, I've changed in so many Starbucks bathrooms and, um, and done my makeup on the train and things like that. So what I'm creating and what we've started to implement is self-care rooms for women in the workplace and also at big events and things like that. So we partner with corporations, events, and workspaces to create these self-care rooms for women. Um, and everything that a woman would need in her personal bathroom, in her work bathroom, or in her work area. Um, we eventually want to take this to be like the Starbucks for beauty. That's what I like to say because Starbucks represents convenience um, and you literally find it on every corner. And that's what we want to be for self-care, personal care, and the beauty space. What was the idea where you're like, all right, this can actually be a business? Like, were you in the Starbucks bathroom changing? You're like, so that was one of them. That was one of those moments. Yes, because I, like, I was in the bathroom. I was like, I'm so disgusted. <laughs> like, I feel, I feel more disgusting now than I did before. Should have left the clothes on. Yeah, I should have just left my clothes on. I was like, Ugh, I hate. Oh this. man. And then th there's another moment. Actually, this was like the spawn of it. This is this is what happened in July that spawned me to start thinking about this. So my mom and sister were visiting New York and. They live in Florida and California. So my sister lives in California, my mom lives in Florida. And they're divas, okay? Like, <laughs> like the definition of diva, that's what they are. So we're walking on the Brooklyn Bridge. Mind you, I live in Astoria. So we're on walking Brooklyn Bridge. It's pouring rain. My mom's wearing a hat. My sister and I are looking at each other like, what are we doing? And we have dinner reservations at 6 o'clock. And my mom is like, I, there's no way that I'm going to dinner at this place looking like this. Um, so, so we are like scrambling to find a salon that would let her just fix her hair herself and no one would let us. We went to like three separate salons and we're like, are you kidding me? Like, we just wanna use the straighteners. Like, we'll pay you to use your straighteners and blow dryers. But like they would never, they would not let us. They they had to do the service. So I thought like, does this not exist anywhere? <laughs> like I don't understand. Like what if I wanted to pop in and fix my hair or change into a different outfit? Is there nothing like that? You had to pull so, out your bag. <laughs> I had to pull out my twenty bags that I was carrying with me—a backpack, a purse, yeah, yeah, and yeah. whatever else—and you know, makeshift a situation where I felt good right. about, you know, going to dinner. And I thought that was the most ridiculous thing ever. So we didn't go to dinner. <laughs> we canceled. We had to go back. We had to go back to Astoria. And I was mad because I thought this was the most ridiculous thing. So that's really when the idea started to like marinate in my head. 
How did you go about the, you know, the customer discovery journey and realizing yeah. if, if this was really something viable? Um, so I talked to everyone I knew, all the women that I knew that lived here in New York, and it just started resonating with everyone. Um, they're like, yeah, I would totally pay to use that, like that type of service. Like, why doesn't that service exist? Why is it that it's just like an aha moment for a majority of women, but there's no, no actual solution to it? So that was really like that defining moment where I knew that it was my journey to, like it was my responsibility to take it on. Um, and I felt so passionate about it because it's something that literally affected me every single day. It still affects me every day. Like, um, so. You gotta open up more, uh, more loo bars. I know. <laughs> get, oh, so. get these corporations. <laughs> Shameless plug. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, in terms of like, doing the customer research, what's, what's the next steps after that? Like you figure out that like, this is something that's needed. Women are really, women want this. What, what do you do next? Yeah, so that's a really good question because I didn't know what that was next. Um, I thought that I had to invest a lot of capital into creating this perfect space for women because the original idea was to go brick and mortar and then spend you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to put this up. So I like reshifted my mindset and I was like, why don't I bring this service to women instead of having women find the service? So that's when I started doing these pop-ups inside of WeWorks and I've done large events, I've done intimate corporate events and right now we've just been running these pop-ups, um, one to two day pop-ups and really getting that customer feedback really talking to women, building our list, um, and utilizing our, the network that we've already created and the referrals that come out of that too. So we're building this base, this, base, this home base for women that they can say, I've used the Lou. I know what the quality is. I know what products they carry and I now know that they're opening up a brick and mortar location, I'm more likely to go there after because I've used it. And if I've used it multiple times in a corporate situation, if we have like recurring customers or recurring corporate clients, then they, they definitely know us <laughs> and they come back too. So it's great. So talk about kind of the customer experience. Yeah. So basically like for us, it's really easy to set up, like we work in conference rooms right now. So um, we've done pop-ups at WeWork primarily. Um, we've done a couple, like maybe like 10 in the city. So quite a handful since April, we started doing pop-ups. Um, and we take over a conference room, usually six to 10 person conference room. 
um, and then we create that into a loo room. So we bring in lighted mirrors, like selfie mirrors. Um, we bring in high quality styling tools, like um, straighteners and curling irons. And then we have high quality styling products um, for every type of hair texture, for every woman that you know, wants to come in there and use something. And then we also have skincare products and things that you kind of need, like spray deodorant and, um, you know, makeup remover and things like that. So a woman comes in and she sits down at, you know, one of our stations and there's a lot of discovery that happens. Or there's a lot of excitement when she sees products that she knows and loves and has used before. Um, so there's a lot of things happening in the room. Women are talking to each other. They're conversing over, you know, hair products or or exchanging business contact information. So there's this like micro community that's happening within these spaces, and it's. It like energizes the entire room, um, and we play music and we have um, wine and champagne for happy hour. So we make it. We turn a conference room into this beautifully curated, uh, you know, self care room for for women. And and then we break down and then we leave. What's the next one? Yeah. What, what's required in terms of or. How did you know what products to get? How did you know what customer to, like this? These women, because certain women use certain products, not everybody. Uses yeah. Them. So how do you figure out like we need to have this, you know, range of hair products or yeah. this range of skincare products? That's still something that we're iterating every time. Um, I test new products all the time in the space. Um, we work with partners who want to work with us and see the value and what we're trying to do because for brands we are a new distribution channel and we're a new marketing channel for them right um but we but primarily we were looking at brands that are well known are high end um and that women have has have they have some knowledge of um and it's something that's relatable to them. Um, and then from there, we kind of work backwards and say, okay, we refine this, this, is, this product isn't working, um, this isn't getting what we want, or we're getting new recommendations on products that we can try. So there's a, it's a huge iterative process, and you know, when brands want to, to essentially um, sponsor an event, that's their own product set, right? So we're talking to women every single time we're in the space. Like, what products did you like? What products didn't you like? We have feedback cards. We have, um, we do giveaways on some of the products. So we're focused primarily on, um, I call them subway cities or metro cities. Um, and that means like New York, San Francisco, very urban metropolitan environments, um, but the market for personal care, wellness, beauty is probably one of the largest markets that exists. Um, just to give you like an idea, I think the, the what is it, med tech is about like 
49 billion or something like that. Don't quote me on these numbers. And beauty is like 56 billion. So like that to me, like beauty and vanity is a huge market with huge margins on it, right? Their markups are 70% on products. That's insane. And women are buying it. A woman will pay um, about $250,000 in products and vanity products within her entire lifetime. 250000 Yeah. Just like, like let that like, <laughs> like let that marinate for a second because that is insane. You know, you and I have talked about this and yeah. know, how crazy the opportunity is and, and the numbers are. Um, talk a little bit about you know the business model of this or, or and, and how it works. Um, you know, you said you're selling to corporations and you eventually want to you know move downstream and and. Um, create maybe a subscription type service. So kind of talk about that right now. Yeah, so our business model right now has been primarily pop-ups. So we sell, um, we sell into corporations, workspaces, and the large events. Um, and they essentially pay us to be there for their attendees, members, or employees. Um, we'd like to test you know, a reoccurring corporate model eventually before we start going to brick and mortar. But we really feel like we can target brick and mortar or a version of brick and mortar in in different in different verticals, if you will, like hotels and um, fitness facilities and things like that. Um, and kind of have a version of the loo in multiple spaces. Um, and that would be more of like a subscription uh, or a membership model where women can subscribe to a monthly membership. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where we're moving towards. And that's the, you know, that's the vision. How do you look at um, your personal care you know, in your approach to building this company? Do you have a daily routine? Um, you know, do you uh, have a support group? You know, what, it, what are you doing now to help you be a stronger entrepreneur than you were before? Um, is sleep is one. See, people don't take that seriously <laughs> enough. No, seriously. No. I, so I, I completely changed my lifestyle. I was that person that was eating McDonald's. Yes, I admit it. <laughs> four times a week or like eating just crap all day long like or I would go on these stints where I would eat one meal a day and thought that was healthy and then just binge drank coffee like all day <laughs> which is not sustainable and I crashed so hard like I ended up in the hospital oh, wow. so like this there was like a lot of things happening and my personal health has been like a journey for my, like it's its own podcast, right? Like um, I've gone through a lot, but I've adopted a new eating style. I eat keto, um, which is for, for people who don't know, it's high fat, low carb. Um, so I changed the way that I eat. I sleep, I walk, which is crazy because it's like, if you take 45 minutes or 30 minutes to just walk daily. daily and then like that's my period of time where I can like kind of just refocus 
Um, I take hemp oil um, and it manages my pain and uh, anxiety and stress. I have also um, you know, started to go to different connect groups and having different groups of people, not just entrepreneur friends and not just like, I, I don't call them like normal friends, but like, you know. Yeah, I, like, I know it's normal friends. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But, you know, it takes a while. You, you're excited about your new venture, your, you know, you're on this buzz and this hype about entrepreneurship and like there's so much culture around like you have to work 24 hours a day and you can't rest and hustle 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 and you sleep when you're dead i'm like you're gonna die really fast (laughs) if you don't sleep um and there's some people like there is a certain group of people that don't need a ton of sleep to operate. Like, you have to have a specific gene for that. So don't... Kudos to them. Yeah, yeah. kudos to them. Like, you know, bless you for that. But, like, not everyone is geared that way, and you shouldn't be fit... You shouldn't fit yourself into a mold that society says, this is the way you're supposed to do entrepreneurship. Yeah. Like, there's so many versions of entrepreneurship, and you see so many different leaders out there that have like Jeff Bezos like what he sleeps like 10 hours a night I don't know but like he he takes sleep really seriously Ariana Huffington takes sleep very seriously because she almost died you know because of fatigue and so there's so many different versions of it and I think that you shouldn't fit yourself to one specific version you should find out what works for you and do it I learned the hard way, but now I'm on this new path to like taking care of myself because if you don't take care of yourself, how do you expect your company to run? Like me being in the hospital is not effective for my business. And you as a founder and the CEO, if that's who you are, if you don't maintain yourself and if you like you are the backbone of the company you are the culture of your company and if you instill that into other people that you hire you're gonna build a bad culture like that's another conversation in itself but just taking care of yourself is like the basic thing that you need to do and find out what works for you I think you know we can end on that note and you know we can say that was inspirational, but it's it's real life. Like Absolutely. it's what you went through, um, and it's hopefully going to lead you to building one of you know the most successful businesses ever. Um, you know, rooting for you over here, uh, and uh, we thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing that. I know there will be a lot of entrepreneurs um, who are going through a lot of those struggles, um, men and women, um, but especially women that feel as though like, oh, okay, like yes, like we can do this, and, and you know they'll see that through you. So. Thanks for sharing your story, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. To create self-care beauty bars for all women. Take two. Take. (laughs) 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 All right, we got uh, Rebecca Lima in here. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) What if you? What if you are look look back at everything and it's like actually not good. Thanks for kicking it with us this episode. 
To learn more about New Age Capital, check us out at newage.vc. Also, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel for more dope content. Bless up.